Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's edition of the Africa Fintech Rising podcast. My name is Andrew Barden, and I'm the lead organizer and content director for the Africa Fintech Summit. Today, I'm joined by David Waithaka, the Chief Revenue Officer of Cellulant, one of the first payment companies in Africa and based here in Nairobi, Kenya. Without further ado, please enjoy the conversation. David, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Andrew, and glad to connect at last. Yes. Now, for our listeners who may not know exactly what Cellulant does, could you please give us a quick introduction? Great, yeah. So Cellulant is one of the pioneers uh, of the payment industry across the continent. Uh, we've been around now for just shy of 20 years, uh, really, even before uh, there was FinTech and there was a uh, payment and and we started during the days of being a digital content a services player uh, moved to South banks and now over the last a couple of years really gotten deep uh, into the payment space and being an enabler of uh, payments across the continent so today what we do um, we have a single API um, we call team that really enables businesses whether global regional or local, to collect payments online and offline, uh, allowing anyone to pay from their mobile money account, uh, from their local and international card, or even directly from their bank account. And this we do across 35 countries in Africa, where we are connected to more than uh, 300 ways to pay, and this is growing every day. Okay, so Ting is your core product, essentially, correct? Uh, We like to call it, it's our payment gateway. So a lot of our listeners know us as Cellulant, uh, but then uh, we thought we in Africa, coins are still used a lot. If you think about a coin drop, uh, it has a sound called ting. So that's really how we decided oh. to make the payment gateway <laughs> sound like... Uh, I like that. <laughs> ting, I didn't know that was the, the meaning behind the name. I, I find that... <laughs> yeah, and... and and if you think about it in the African context, uh, anytime a coin drops, everyone stops what they are doing and looks around. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really yes, yeah. So, with your payment gateway, who are your target clientele, and what are some of the key functionalities that you know more merchants or corporations you know receive by using Ting? Yeah, so our target customer, we like to define them as anyone who is looking to either a receive a payment or make a payment. What does that mean? If you think about a large multinational operating in Africa, they are based, let's say, in the U.S., in Europe, and they are providing services across 40 countries in Africa. Think about a, a large airline um, a large e-commerce company, and they have customers who are interested in consuming their services on the continent. Um, we enable this business to n- not need to go across Africa in every market, connecting to three or four uh, payment service providers, but essentially get sing- single connection that allows the customer to enjoy 
a seamless payment experience on their website, on their mobile app, ATC. Uh, and we aggregate all these payments across the continent and then um, do a single settlement to the merchant back um, wherever they are in Europe, in the US, ATC. Uh, That's one use case. Then we have another use case of a business that is only operating in one country, but even in that single country, there are 10 ways the consumers could pay them. Uh, they could pay them through two, three different mobile money services, uh, five banks, three, four card schemes. It's still a very fragmented space, even um, in the local context. So we also enable that business without the need of integrating to five, six providers in a country. We bring all these uh, providers into a single API, into a single integration, and the business can then focus on what they do best, which is to run their business. Then we work on everything else to do with payment, with reconciliation, with settlement, etc. And same thing for payouts. If you want to, you are paying a million people, uh, a few of them through banks, a few of them into mobile money wallets, etc. Uh, this single API also allows the business to pay whoever they are paying the way they want to be paid without the need of restricting them to one or two um, payment methods or wallets. Okay. All right. So who would you say is kind of your core customer base? Um, you know, would it be like e-commerce companies? You had mentioned airlines and such. Um, you know, how are you working with local fintechs and other uh, organizations to kind of bring them into this space as well? Yeah, yeah. So today our um, customer base is largely enterprise. All the large businesses across the continent looking to collect in Africa, uh, about a thousand of them we count as our customers. This is from very large e-commerce companies to more than 10 of the largest airlines operating on the continent to ride-hailing companies that are now operating on the continent uh, to remittance customers who are essentially looking for last-mile termination into Africa. That's on the global side. On the local side, uh, we are very strong or increasingly becoming strong into uh, the large retail chains, into the oil marketing companies, uh, into quick service restaurants. So we have a very wide array of our customers we are serving today. But as we go forward, we think the needs for our payments are not only restricted to the large corporations, but also the SMEs that are really driving digitization um, across the continent. And we've been testing uh, use cases that will enable uh, someone with a website serving 20, 30 customers a day to also enjoy the same experience as a global business serving uh, tens of thousands of customers every single day. And that's, we want to make it as seamless as possible. If you think about the large corporations, we um, more or less end up having a one-to-one -one conversation, but the small business want to test and launch their business very fast within a couple of hours or a day. And we want to cater for those user experiences also going forward. All right. Now, as we both know, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, but African payments as a collective industry uh, can be seen as a pretty crowded sector. Now, Cellulant was one of the first companies in operation uh, within the tech space, as you alluded to earlier. Um, and you yourself have been with Cellulant for, I believe, 16 years, 17 years now. Uh, what 
what value does a long history and experience benefit a company like Cellulant when going head to head with a younger payment company? Yeah, I think um, the first thing is that we understand Africa. Uh, what does understanding Africa mean? We have actually seen the digitization of the African economies from way back. Um, as I did mention earlier, we started off as a digital content company many years ago when there was no internet on the continent. In fact, our delivery channel for music tracks then was, uh, and ringtones was really um, SMS. Okay. So you can imagine 2004, 2005, internet connectivity was not in existence at all into the hands of the consumers. And then come around 2008, 2010, as telcos uh, got into the data space, then we started seeing the internet coming to the consumer's uh, hands via way of the mobile device. And we kept on um, traveling that journey. Around 2010 also is when a lot of the mobile money payment systems uh, started showing up. There was really no uh, card infrastructure on the continent to enable multiple use cases of payment. So we've also traveled that journey seeing mobile money providers evolved and scale over a very short period of time. So that counts for something when we think about the behavior of consumers on the continent, the way the different markets uh, have evolved. We've also been um, involved quite a bit as the regulators are bringing the different regulations uh, to govern how mobile money payments are done. So we've also seen the regulators working that journey. Uh, so at a fundamental level, if we think about how that payment ecosystem is evolving, we have been there through the journey. The second part is our own uh, heritage, having teams sitting almost 20 countries across Africa. Wow. So we have teams uh, based in Southern Africa, almost every market in Southern Africa, we have uh, a team sitting there. We have a team in North Africa. We have a team in Central Africa. We have a team in West Africa, East Africa, and even Fran Francophone West. So we are not sitting in uh, one part of the continent and imagining what the continent is looking for, but we have very local, um, very localized operations where we have teams all over Africa that really are saying, let's be united for Africa in leading a payments evolution uh, that doesn't leave anyone behind. So that's account for something because uh, what the French West Africa is looking for is not necessarily what you find in Anglophone Africa. And how does this help us? When we are talking to the businesses that want to collect, our interest is not only giving you a payment gateway and adding a button on your website or on your mobile app, but we actually want to tell you, this is what we've seen with consumers. If you do one, two, three changes, then you'll bet, get a better conversion rate. Uh, if you are making a decision on how do customers in Morocco pay or in Egypt pay, it's very different from how as a customer in South Africa will pay. We are able to walk uh, that journey with you. We'll tell you that for South Africa, um, card and direct from bank will get you to 95% of the consumers. In Egypt, we'll tell you card will only take you to 5-10%. Actually, customers pay by code. They prefer to walk to an agent with a code and uh, give it to an agent and they are like two, 
200, 300,000 of these agents across the country. And customers are used to, I go and order a service and then I walk into an agent and pay with code. And then I come back and enter the, uh, the payment reference. And it's a very different uh, continent all over. So when you think about 54 uh, countries on the continent, when you think about different regulators, different ways to pay, that's where really our heritage counts. And of course, lastly, I would say we have the largest payment network on the continent, comprised of more than 300 ways to pay. Uh, this is the leading mobile money operators, uh, the leading banks, and of course, all the international as well as local card schemes in various parts of the continent. All right. Now, as an early employee for Cellulant, how did you how did you get your start with the company and how have your roles changed over the years, leading you to where you are today as the chief revenue officer? It was a very interesting journey. And, 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 and I would say, I mean, we didn't know where this industry was heading then. You're talking about 2007. Uh, 2007, no internet. Uh, I came across this interesting company that was selling ringtones. Back then, I was a second-year student in university, and um, I was looking for an internship. And I remember when I came for interview, uh, the company was operating off a garage. I think there were about 12 people uh, sitting um, in this garage, uh, all of them sitting together. Uh, it was, I remember, a very hot warehouse, <laughs> and uh, everyone was busy looking at their screen, which was not normal then. And then... Um, uh, having this chat uh, with the founder, Ken. And interestingly, um, after we had the chat, uh, I listened to a vision for Africa by Africa, um, someone who was seeing how the continent could, you could build a company in Africa and make it a billion-dollar company. And for me, that was exciting as a young second-year student. Um, all... Uh, psyched up to what we could do uh, for the continent. And, 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 and I decided to give it a try. It was not the most attractive uh, <laughs> looking at how established companies were vis-a-vis uh, this business that is starting up, selling music. Uh, very, I would, I would almost say it was a funny concept, selling music then. And um, the moment I joined, I joined as a finance intern. And uh, over the next couple of uh, uh, years, I continued working part-time, and uh, when I cleared my studies, I joined uh, the team fully, and then um, um, left finance into commercial, uh, quite proud with starting one of our operations, Zambia, uh, which is among our top three operations on the continent, spent three years outside the country, spent a few more years really going around Africa and helping set up uh, the different operations we have. And I can see through that journey what the continent has become, what the business has become, which for me is very exciting. And, and some of my highlight moments, really looking back to where we are today uh, and where we began. So it's kept me going. Um, seeing the business from 12 people to almost 500 people today, um, a business that never thought to be the money flow that is now touching more than a billion dollars of gross payment value every month. Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, that's that's great. And I can only imagine, you know, over the years, everything you've learned, everything you've witnessed and seen 
And then now you can apply that, you know, in a leadership role uh, for a company that you started off interning in a garage with. <laughs> it, seem, it seems uh, yeah. much of our tech industry across the globe is built out of garages. <laughs> All the big players. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We've seen it time for, yeah. fast time in Africa. Usually it's, it's a lot hotter in the yeah. garage here. <laughs> but uh, one of the biggest you know, discussion points that has been going on within our industry has revolved around this idea of interoperability. You know, I see this constantly in startups, pitch decks, and elsewhere as kind of like their dream. We want to create an interoperable payment system for the continent. Now, Cellulent, on the other hand, is actually at a point with Ting and your other services where interoperability is closer to a reality than it is an actual dream anymore. Um, could you please share your thoughts on how Cellulent is working and achieving, you know, this goal of interoperable payments? Yeah. First, I'm not a big fan of uh, interoperability. I like to think about it as uh, creating seamless ways to pay or get paid. If you think about this coming from the West, uh, which I would say has digitized for a long time, interoperability was achieved by having all the banks playing in the continent connected to a single switch and created a new set of players called acquirers. And these acquirers went out and brought businesses. And as a consumer with a card, you didn't care which bank you bank with. When you showed up at a merchant, you just gave your card. You didn't care about how the transaction was processed. Uh, and you live with your goods. So when I think about the continent, we are faced with the same challenge today where we have, I would say, um, payment systems that have gained scale, but then they are very fragmented. So in any market, you'll find there are three to four mobile money operators, each of them with a few million customers. Uh, in some cases, you find operators with tens of millions of customers in a single country. But then customers want to pay digitally from their mobile money wallet. They also want to pay digitally from their bank account. In some instances, um, they want to pay from a locally issued debit or prepaid card in the market. And the work we are doing is to get all these systems to talk to each other and create a seamless payment for the merchant but also for the consumer. And what we are finding in most markets is um, a consumer is not too sure, can my payment tool or payment method be accepted at a merchant? Can it be accepted on this website? Uh, can it be accepted when I walk in at a quick service restaurant at a, a oil marketing company, ETC? And what we are doing is to unify all these payments and enable anyone to pay from anywhere and the merchant to receive payments from anyone and not go through the hassle of looking at multiple dashboards, not go through the hassle of looking at uh, uh, multiple settlement reports. If you think about the finance team in any large organization, even in small organization, if you're getting reports from 
five, six different ways that consumers paid. Then it's a reconciliation nightmare. It's an accounting nightmare seeing the money come through because the settlement files and the money will land in your bank at different times, etc. So I like to look at it as harmonizing and unifying the payment experience to enable consumers to pay from any wallet they feel like they want to pay from, and the merchant, on the other hand, to receive money from any wallet uh, they uh, that is available in the country. So that's one part. And then when you think about it, uh, Africa is increasingly becoming interconnected. If you go through the different border points on the continent, you'll find a lot of cross-border trade. So these systems are no longer now about one country, but also you want to start thinking about how do I make my payments digitally across the border? And that's how we've ended up connecting these 300 different ways to pay across 35 countries and really now enabling consumers to actually pay each other across the borders. So that's how I look at it. It's not interoperability for interoperability's sake, but we actually want to solve a need, which is why should I go to a mobile money agent, withdraw money to go and make payment for goods and services at a merchant when I could pay the merchant directly regardless of which method of payment I have? Why should I go to my mobile wallet, withdraw physical cash, go to a bureau to change, change the money to uh, hard currency, walk across the border with hard currency, go to another bureau to change to local currency, move from local currency to pay a merchant. Can we make it more seamless where actually I can travel with my digital car- with a, my digital wallet and make payments across the border? That's how we think about it. Okay. Well, you had mentioned uh, the word harmonized, and uh, I just wanted to point that out because I really like I really like how that um, that sounds and how you know it makes much more sense than what you explained using the term interoperability. So let, let's start calling it uh, as an industry harmonized payments. That is <laughs> what it it connects uh, with us more because when you talk to the merchants. They actually get confused when you talk about interoperability. For them, they just want to receive payment for goods and services in the easiest way possible, um, creating no reconciliation nightmares. We've talked to merchants who have a team of 30, 40 accountants. And when we deploy a solution, um, those accountants can focus on other things. And all of a sudden, reconciliation only needs two people. Yeah. And even those people is to do checks, not to do reconciliation a 40 person accounting team you, you should have thousands of yeah, employees I, if you require that many people for accounting absolutely <laughs> and it's a real pain because you can imagine they are trying to tie tens of thousands of payments to a specific cashier remember cashiers for face-to-face payments have to uh, log off at some point and new cashiers join so it's a whole um underlying system right there that needs to be solved for. And that's what we are doing. Okay. Now let's pivot our conversation a little bit to regulation because you hinted at it earlier, but when it comes to regulation, we see rapid developments uh, in many countries and regulators, you know, to some extent look like they're trying to keep up with the rate of innovation. Um, which I'm not sure if that's possible, but uh Kenya in particular has witnessed, you know, an amazing change over the past two years in terms of 
in tech regulation. A lot has gone on. Um, you could probably write an entire book alone about, you know, the evolutionary process of fintech regulation in Kenya, but unfortunately that would not make a bestseller list. But what are your thoughts on the regular regulatory evolution here in Kenya? And are there any other countries in particular where your team is seeing much positive change? Yeah, yeah. So first, um, we, we are pro-regulation. And pro-regulation because we think the moment it's a regulator who is creating the ground rules, it's everyone feels protected. Remember, we are talking about money. We are talking about money. Uh, banks for a long time, they, they, if you think about banks um, in their true sense, banks have been there for hundreds of years. So even when a new bank comes, consumers know that um, there is banks and this is what banks do. I just need to evaluate whether this new bank is my type of bank. But when we talk about fintech and we really want to, we think um, fintech is what will rapidly digitize our continent. Most of the consumers and businesses do not understand what is new, this new category that is coming up, by which rules do you play with? Uh, how am I protected as a consumer? How am I protected as a merchant? And increasingly, the businesses want to digitize. Increasingly, consumers want to make digital payments. But if they don't feel that they are protected, then our adoption will be much lower. So when we have a regulator coming up and saying, I have created a new category called the payment service provider category or e-money issuer category or uh, IMT remittances category, ETC, we are pro it because then first you give the confidence to the people you are working with. That is actually a category where the regulator recognizes. These are the rules by which it's played by. And um, this is how you are protected both as a business and as a consumer. So we are pro-regulation. What we are seeing, and I agree, Kenya, but also increasingly across the continent, the regulator is at the forefront of really uh, making the changes necessary to continue accelerating um, digitization, but also accelerating adoption of digital. And what we've seen is across all aspects um, in the payment space, uh, payment collection, digitizing of cash, uh, microcredit, microlending, ETC, the regulator is able to keep up pace and create guidance on how do you actually run these services safely. So we like that a lot. But also, when we look at some of the large global customers uh, we serve, they come from regulated jurisdictions. When they come to Africa and you tell them, no, in this country, there's nothing about the payment industry being regulated, scares them. And when it scares them, then uh, you're not going to be launching a service anytime soon. Something which would have taken three months to go live uh, takes a year because they really want to be sure that they've read the law back and front, and almost like reading the constitution. And they have to reach out to the regulator. Of course, when they reach out to the regulator, regulators never give you a blanket, no or yes. They say, tell me what you want to do, then I'll, if I don't have anything covering it, I'll give you a letter of no objection. And that can take forever. So we like it when the ground rules are clear, 
and we can play by them. And we really hope that across the continent that this is going to um, continue being the way it is. Uh, today, we actually do have PSP licenses across uh, nine countries. We have three more um, that we are likely to come up quarter one of next year. And every time there's a new um, a license in a market we are operating in that is available, we actually at the front of the queue to actually get it. Okay. Yeah, I find this, you know, I'm seeing this more often here on the continent. But, you know, for example, in the U.S., the startup culture specifically around fintech is a lot of move fast and break things, you know, outpace the regulator, you know, almost like a little bit of a libertarian aspect to things. Um, but I've noticed here, you know, things are changing. People are working much closer with regulators and helping them, you know, design the regulation as well. Um, so I find that incredibly encouraging for where our industry is headed in the future. Um, and I know there are countries uh, like the DRC and others which have typically not had incredible regulation around fintech are starting, you know, to churn the wheels and move uh, forward. So I completely agree with you that the regulation uh, regulation is a positive and it's almost like a stamp of approval for for consumers and businesses alike. It's like, hey, if we're regulated, it's a stamp of approval. The government's Absolutely. okay with it. Uh, okay for what they know is going on. Uh, everything with FTX. You got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know we are not talking much about it in Africa, but really I'm sure there are uh, consumers and businesses affected by uh, what's happening thousands of kilometers away. But because of the rapid digitization, uh, you'll definitely find aspects of it in Africa. Now, I want to shift the conversation to corporate culture. This is an important aspect of any organization, uh, and it's no lie that some companies do corporate culture better than others. With teams in, you said, 18, 20 countries, um, how does your leadership team ensure kind of cohesion and positive culture within, you know, a team in so many different places and with over 500 employees? Yeah. Yeah. So over time, uh, I will say we have evolved a lot. And there are some guiding principles we play by, uh, and I'll talk about our values. But before I talk about our values, there's one thing we really like to talk about, which is let's think global, but act local. And what do you find around culture? Culture, um, it's what you tolerate. And being in an innovation space, um, we actually respect everyone's opinion we listen to them as an equal contributor. When we disagree, we don't do this. Um, uh, I don't know whether you know this uh, term of highest paid in the room makes the final call. No, we are more consensus. We build consensus around most decisions. So that means across the countries, people's opinion feel uh, respected. And as long as you show that every opinion, everyone's opinion count or matters, then you're already off to a good start. And if you combine that with thinking like a global organization, acting local, then 
you also end up serving your customers. But if I shift to our three values, so this is what we really measure ourselves against. And, and, and the first one is we say customer delight wherever it takes. It doesn't matter whether you're in Morocco, Egypt, South Africa, Kenya, Zambia, wherever. Our customers should feel that whoever they talk to within the business actually cares and we are here to delight them. So that's the first unifying factor for the organization. The second thing we say, lead with courage. Never be afraid to speak up. And the third thing, which is in, interesting to talk about is we say, keep it simple, keep it connected. We understand what we are here to do as an organization. And let's not create jargon that people do not understand. Keep it simple. Say what you mean. And um, if you do that, then we don't have broken communication lines. You can imagine the number of languages and dialects we have to accommodate. So if you are not keeping things simple, then there are going to be a lot of communication breakdown. So when we combine our values with um, this culture where everyone's opinion matters, then you actually find that we are all um, connected to one goal as we think about the continent. And this one goal as we think about how do we build a business for Africa, by Africa, um, then we are able to move faster. That said, you, you see a lot of uh, differences. Uh, French West is very different from Anglophone West, very different from Anglophone East, very different from North Africa. But we have to, if we want to build a business that goes across borders, then we have to actually accommodate all this. And that's why we've taken a deliberate decision of having, we are not taking Kenyans to Morocco or to Egypt. We actually have Egyptians building a Egypt business. We have Moroccan building a Morocco business. We have South Africans building a South African business. We have Senegalese, same thing. So we actually try to keep it very local. And I'd almost say that we try to assimilate the spirit of Africa into everyone that is joining mission. So we actually on a mission. We, yes, are here for profit, but we are really on a mission to make a change and a difference on the continent. Okay. I love your three, uh, your three values. I think those are great. And the keep it simple one, uh, takes me back to university. I had a professor who, uh, once made us write an essay and we weren't allowed to use 10 words in each sentence. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was, it was a great exercise because, you know, you really learn how to keep it simple and then you understand just how clear communication can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I got two more questions for you and then we'll, we'll close out for the day. But, um, first of all, do you have any special news or hints that we can expect from Cellulink going forward to 2023? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we are an open business and uh, we've made quite a couple of announcements this year. So um, expect more of what we've been doing to be to be seen more and more across the continent. I think the the one of the things we've done is our 
face-to-face payment product, which is the newest product on the block, we've been able to scale across three markets. So if you're in Ghana, if you're in Zambia, in Nigeria, you'll see us a lot more in the faces of the consumer at the merchant point of sale. So expect this to also become the norm across maybe another four to five markets next year. And then um, recently we made an announcement that we are now going into the EUAE and um, that will be also, um, uh, we'll, we have some milestones we really want to make early next year into how do we enable trade between uh, the UAE and the African continent. So that's also going to be big. Yeah, but we have uh, quite a number of things lined up, but we are going to, it's nothing new. It's essentially just scaling the, the business and uh, getting to interact with a lot more of our customers and getting the consumers to really enjoy our services. All right. Now, my final question of the day, I ask this to all of my guests, but do you have any advice for a university student or young person hoping to make their career in this industry? I have a lot of advice, and if I start speaking, I think uh, <laughs> we may not end the day, <laughs> given my <laughs> my own experience. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I want to go back to my comments of being a second year student. So when I uh, was doing my, I was looking for an internship. I have different, op- I had different options. I had the options of um, going to work for a large. Uh, agrochemicals company paying very well and it was internship but for some reason either I was lucky or something but paying very well I had uh, the option to join a manufacturing company I had the option to be a lecturer uh, and I had the option of joining one of the audit firms mm-hmm. for my internship mm-hmm. and all those organizations compared to Cellulant at the time uh, as a student who is looking to make impact ETC and building their career, it would have made sense to make a choice of any of the other organizations other than Cellulant. But when I listened to the vision, when I, li- I in fact, uh, funny story, I never got a contract for the first 60 days. There was no one to do a contract for me. Uh, I was getting paid less than half of the lowest offer from the other four. And for me, when I listen to an industry and I ask myself, I'm pretty young, uh, then um, I think I just turned 20. The question was really, if we are building something that is going to come and we all don't know the shape or form within which it will come, this is the time to take the risks. And it's early in my career. And and that's how I ended up uh, at Cellulant. I remember when I during the first day, my seat did not have a back. So I was actually <laughs> had a place to sit and <laughs> nothing at the back. But I looked at the organization and two things struck me. One, um, I realized because of the culture of the organization, this is a place I could negotiate to work when I have some free time from campus. And that allowed me for the next two years to continue um, uh, working when I'm in school and really start to see the journey of how fintech was developing. And money was never in question. I never sat one day to think about I could be getting a lot more money from the other side. For me, it was I'm actually building a career, and this career seems to be different. And when you get into fintech, it's not about what the organization gives to you. 
is about what do you give to the organization. As a student out there that want to build a career, think about what are you going to contribute to the organization, not what about the organization will give to you. If you show up with that mentality, then um, my advice is you'll go far. Well, I think that's that's great advice. That's great advice, and I completely agree with you on that. David, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button, as every few weeks we have a new episode. Again, my guest today is David Waithaka, Chief Revenue Officer of Cellular. Have a great rest of your day.